Hi, and welcome to episode 236 of the Untether podcast. Today, we have Michael Johnston joining us. Michael's a Louisiana state licensed speech language pathologist with her certificate of clinical competence through ASHA. Michael graduated from the University of Louisiana at Monroe with a bachelor's of science in communication disorders and earned her master's degree in speech language pathology from Louisiana Health Sciences Center in Shreveport. During her professional career, she's worked with a wide variety of populations and disorders. She's gained experience working in private practice, elementary schools, early intervention in homes and daycares, and in pediatric day health care centers for medically fragile children. She's had the opportunity to evaluate and treat children with receptive and expressive language disorders, articulation and phonological disorders, autism, developmental delays, feeding, oral motor and swallowing disorders, Down syndrome, childhood apraxia of speech, and other genetic and medically complex disorders. Michael's earned a certified autism specialist certification through the International Board of Credentialing and Continuing Education Standards, completed the Feed the Peds Foundations of Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Course, AEIOU Feeding Approach Program, and SOS Approach to Feeding. Michael's currently completing further education in pediatric feeding and swallowing disorders, early intervention, and myofunctional therapy. She recently received ASHA's ACE Award for demonstrating her commitment to lifelong learning. Michael's passionate about working closely with families to provide child-centered individualized therapy and collaborating with other professionals to best meet the needs of each individual child. As a long-life DeSoto Parish resident, Michael opened a private practice to give back to the community she has called home for so long. In her spare time, Michael loves spending time with her family and friends and traveling. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untether Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified myofunctional therapist, feeding specialist, podcaster, business owner, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, airway, tethered oral tissue, and pediatric feeding therapy space. If you're new here, I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to spread this message far and wide. If you've been around since June 2019, thanks for being a loyal listener. As we jump into today's episode, remember to listen with correct oral rest posture. Tongue up, lips closed, teeth apart, breathe through your nose. Let's get started. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to talk business today. It is like my love language. And so I want to just, you know, jump right into this conversation um, so I know, you know, you're a private practice owner and sure. I want to know like at what point, like where was the pivotal point for you that you kind of were like, I want to own a private. So I feel like I always just had an idea. This is what I wanted to do. Um, I've always been very, I guess, independent and driven and kind of wanted to um, pave my own way. Yeah, my mom says since I was literally, you know, an infant, Um outside thinking outside of the box doing what I, Michael wanted to do um, and I remember when I graduated from college um, at ULM I left and was like I'm gonna go back home at some point and open up a private practice so it was always an idea that I had I guess it was always my dream and then of course after graduation I jumped right into private practice and started working um, for two years so I completed my CF there and then worked for another year. Um, and then I went to the school system and then I did early steps. So that's Louisiana's early intervention program for in-home um, and in daycares. And also worked at PDHC. So every setting that I went into, it was kind of like, okay, I really like how they're doing this, but I don't really love how we're doing this. So I kind of learned how I wanted to not only be valued as a therapist but also like I wanted more mentorship from my um my co-workers from the staff and I knew how I wanted families to um be supported so that's kind of where the shift really took place it was always a dream that I had um but after I started to see and get experience across all these different settings it was kind of like, okay, I really like this, but I really am not too sure about this. So why don't I just create what I want to see happen, essentially? I love that. I mean, I love that. And it's, I feel like you're telling my story too. <laughs> it was very simple. You know, I, I always knew I wanted to have a business. I didn't start like as a speech pathologist, I actually started in business, but I like didn't do well 
the first semester. I think I got like a C on some of my first tests. And I was like, what is this? I don't need this information. I'm going to have my own business one day. And like, I don't, I don't need this. Um, and I had worked in like another business growing up and ran like events for an event planner. And like, that was like my weekends. And even through like college and grad school, I went back and like worked too. And it taught me so much. And then like you, like, I actually signed an agreement to go work in the schools um, in exchange for them paying for like most of my graduate school program. And awesome. so it was a three-year contract. I was totally miserable, but my first two years were like in their preschool program. My third year was in early intervention and in, in MCITP, which was their EI. And I loved that because it got yes. me back to working one-on-one in families' homes. And I think if I'd started there, I don't know what my path would have looked like because I really enjoyed that. And I really loved the team approach and the team meetings. And it was very collaborative. Now, it was more of a coaching model. And I really wanted more of like a medical model right. or like, yeah. yeah, and direct therapy model. Um, so I think I probably eventually would have left anyways. But it kind of brought me back to my roots, which is funny because I'm like two years in and I feel like I have to be brought back to my roots. And I'm so like right. cheated from working like a school system for two years. Like that's horrible. Um, but I, I like quit being an SLP for about eight months actually. And at that point I was like, I was doing network marketing and I'd replaced my yeah. coming to school. So that's how I quit. I left and I kind of was like, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. And then I really started to miss the kids. So I went to work for private practice for a year. Uh, we almost went into business together. We decided not to part of ways. I went out on my own and that was like 2014. I'm like, now here we are. Yeah, I was here. Yeah, I'm like nine and a half years later. So Thank yeah, you. it's it's so incredible to see like how like things shape shift. But mm-hmm. for the same reason that you explained, I was kind of like, okay, I want to be able to deliver a certain level of service and truly help my patients. And I feel like right. a lot of these other places where I've worked, there's so many restrictions or so many things that I would do differently, like whether it was coaching model and I wanted to do direct therapy or more of a medical model, whether it was another private practice. And, you know, I had some freedoms, but, you know, clerically, oh, you know, yeah. administratively, I was like, there was other things I'd be doing customer service wise. There's other things Absolutely. I'd be doing, you know, it's yeah. So it was pretty eye opening, but good experiences nonetheless. I mean, because it really does help you figure out, like you said, like what you want to stand for and who you want to be in private practice. So Absolutely. I love you always it. have to go through what you don't like to really figure out what you do like. Yeah, I agree too. It's so funny because looking back, I think if I would have started in just early intervention, I don't know if this is where I would be. I loved early intervention. Now that was pre-COVID too. I got in right when COVID hit and then they were doing lots of teletherapy, um, so that definitely shifted and I was also pregnant at the time so there's so many moving pieces um which also helped me to kind of shift away from that so I think it just kind of all fell into what how it was supposed to be for sure well and you're also in a rural community so are yeah. there other private practices that do what you do nearby or was it like a huge need or like Definitely a huge need. Um, So in our parish, there has never been pediatric therapy. Um, So I graduated from one of the schools in our district or parish in Louisiana, our parishes, um, in 2012. And at that point, there was no pediatric therapy. Um, Wow. Isn't that crazy? It just blows your mind. It is so sad, which... I'll talk about it a little bit. It's also, that was part of what was so hard for me um, in the beginning, like our parents going to buy into this. They've gone so long without it. Or did they just think they're okay to not have it, essentially? Wow. Um, but when we did open, so we announced our um, grand opening in last October. So I think in three weeks, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. Yay, congratulations. It's crazy. Time flies. Um, but another local clinic, like right across the street, also opened their um, clinic like two weeks after us. Oh. Um, yeah. Isn't that fun? Well, uh, you know, went from nothing yeah. to double double the fun. <laughs> yeah, literally. And I was, cannot begin to describe how stressful that was for me. Um, we did not know that that was happening. Um we have a really well-established adult clinic. And so there was a 
PT who was kind of going through the adult end to launch pediatrics. She didn't know that I was launching. I didn't know that she was launching. So it kind of happened at the same time. Um, but it has not been a damper on our business, which is really good um, because we have really just worked my tail off to make sure that we um, were successful in the long run. Um, but that was honestly my biggest fear with being in the rural community is parents not understanding what we have. And, you know, some parents start to believe, well, like, oh, there's something wrong with everybody or everyone needs therapy or you're just trying to make money. That's absolutely not what we were trying to do. You know, we're trying to bring um, therapy to this community and these families and these kids because it is going to help them. It's going to change essentially their lives, their futures. Um, When I look around some days, it literally makes me tear up to think like when these kiddos now start preschool or kindergarten or first grade if we had a just a small part or a small role when they were little like we are going to change the trajectory of this community yeah it's just crazy did you you have any pushback from parents with those like kind of fears that you had and bringing this to a room it took a little while i mean we definitely were full thank goodness um, we're trying to find some new therapists right now, actually, to continue to grow. But I do think, like, there was not an immediate, like, we were not full within a couple of months. There was no wait list um, because we do live close to about 30 minutes from some of the bigger clinics in the area. And so they were already well established. You know, pediatricians love to kind of have their referral sources Um And so they kind of all knew where they were going to send those kids. The families were comfortable. They didn't know who we were or what we were about, which as a mother, I definitely understand. Um, You get comfortable, your child's making progress, and you don't think that um, up and uplifting them and moving them to a new place is in the best interest of the child, which I definitely get. but it also helps that I was from this area. Um, I mean, half the people who walk in my waiting room know me from somehow. Oh, I remember when you were three or four toddling around, um, yeah, which is also fun when you've grown up with half of the people in the area. Um, but that has definitely helped, I think, parents and families respect us more because they know that it's coming from a good place. Like we're doing this for a good reason. I love that. I love that. And so does your clinic specialize in anything in particular that does also like help you set yourself apart from some of the yeah. clinics? So um, first we are multidisciplinary. So we have PT, OT, speech, and feeding. Um, and that was the most important thing to me. Number one, I went in and was like, I'm not opening with just speech. Not saying that that's not... A good option or that it can't be done but for me I wanted to focus on treating the whole child whole body supporting these families and you know how many kiddos come in and it's really just one one thing it's just articulation or it's just a late talker most of our kiddos do have other needs that need to be met um, and I want to be able to collaborate with those other therapists uh, I can't tell you how many times someone will come in and we'll be like oh, hey, can, like, can you pop in and um, just do a screening? Like, Let's run out and talk to the mom if they're okay with taking a look at this. And then we'll talk to you some more and see if we need another evaluation. So I think that in itself really makes us kind of stand out. Um, and we are smaller. You know, We're not a mega clinic. So we're very close. We're very comfortable um, with just saying, hey, can you pop in really fast and take a look? Like I'm doing a feeding evaluation but I think we need to take a look at sensory regulation throughout the whole body. Can you kind of see what's going on? Um, or, hey, I'm working on feeding, but positioning, can, like PT, can you pop in and take a look at me for me and take a look at those gross motor skills? Um, so that has really kind of helped to set us apart. And then we're also um, one of the 
clinics in the area that does um, feeding therapy. Thank you, Hallie. Kind of fangirling. Um, you literally started my journey. I tell Taylor that all the time. I <laughs> will never forget signing up for Feed the Peds and feeling like I was just, oh my gosh. You said at the beginning of the course to write, hey, like my name is Michael and I'm a pediatric feeding therapist. And I was like, no. <laughs> I literally, and I went back and looked. I was like, I don't think I wrote it. I'm such a type A, like, perfectionist. Like, I'm not a pediatric feeding therapist right now, so I'm not writing this. <laughs> I just, it's just so crazy how it comes full circle. But that really started my journey. Um, I was actually doing early steps for a family. Um, she, medically fragile, complex little girl. I still see her. Her mom, um, family's amazing. She called and was like, can you see her for feeding? She was on a feeding tube. I mean, we were on TPN 24-7, very much out of my wheelhouse. And I literally was like, no, I cannot. And she was like, well, being in this community, this area, there's not, there was no one else, essentially. And I was like, I know, but I just don't feel like I'm the best for the job. And she was like, I think that you are, like, you can do this. I went home, bought your class. And spent the next 12 weeks learning how to care for her. Um, so she has a big role in just my feeding journey too. As well as just taking that class. Literally changed my life. Um, and from those 12 weeks, it was just like everything after that. I want to learn more and more and more and more. How many C's can I get? How much continuing education for feeding? I need to know everything. Which I know you never will. Like, if a parent has a question, I need to know at least the answer or how to find it. So, that also... Yes! Yeah, that all old. Oh, yeah. I mean, I always say, once you start, it's like you fall down that rabbit hole of all oh, things. God. Feeding and tots and airway and mayo and, yes. you know, and it's... But I love that because it also sounds like your overall vision for the practice was to be this, like, comprehensive, collaborative yeah. place where you truly could kind of do that full body approach for the mm -hmm. patient and also like you know hi you're working towards optimal you know health optimal really? function you know you have function in your name like I just yeah. I love everything about that and so I think that also you know kind of brings a full circle in a way and so I love that the course was kind of like a jumping off point for I know I'm like and or like night girl to see you because it's just so crazy like I always think back to how I started here and it was like this feed the peds course Signing up, you know, to take on this early steps baby when I really didn't know what I was doing and then just diving in. I signed up for my own method. Like I am just ready to do all the things. I love it. Well, and I think it's, you know, it speaks volumes of you too, because you were able to say to that parent, like, no, I don't think I'm the best person. Like I'm not ready to take on your child. And the parent was kind of like, but hey, there is nobody else. So like, it's almost like, hey, if you're interested, like, you know, did they wait for you? Did you get started with them right away? Like, what did that look like in terms of patient? Essentially, it was like there is no one else to work on feeding. And she was at a point medically um, where they were really recommending her to get in feeding therapy. Um, her OT was working with her a little bit, but she didn't really feel comfortable because she did have dysphagia. Um, you know, we're supposed to be the experts in that, but they don't teach you that in school. <laughs> no, no. And so uh, we got a swallow study. Um, it, that was the first time she had ever had food by mouth was her swallow study. Wow. Yeah. It was just so sad, but she's come full circle and she is rocking it. Um, and all with your help because you said yes for yourself as a patient. But, you know. started immediately. I got in and every single week that I went, I came, I just had a, like a notebook and I would write my questions down. And we would work together and my, we would go back and forth and say, like, how can we do this to the best? I would reach out to therapists that I knew. I would dig in your courses. I would go through um, the feeding groups online and just say, like, can anybody provide me some support? I knew she was safe to eat, but we had such a long ro road ahead of us that um, it was slow and steady. But she's rocking it. I guess it's been about a year and a half. And we're taking um, oral feeds. We're drinking some water. 
we're drink eating three different textures. Um, she's decreased TPN, I think, to 16 hours a day over 24. So she's doing amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you really jumped in full throttle with a medically complex kiddo. You didn't just go on her computer to start with. I'm going to go full in. I know. And looking back, I'm like, uh, how did I do that? But you know, I'm trying to hear out of that. Parents are telling it, right? Yeah, the DA tug on your heartstrings a little, and you're like, I, just, I can't say, I can't say no three times. I mean, I said no twice, and you didn't listen to me. So, yes, we're with us. I was like, you can do this, and then I ended up at a PDHC working primarily with medically complex um, littles, all the way from like a two week old infant to six year olds with feeding issues, um, and I was terrified, but I jumped in, took more coursework. Anytime I have a question, I add a uh, course to my cart and just try to learn as much as I can. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love it. So so with all of that, um, you had mentioned like you, one of the reasons too that you also wanted your own practice was kind of like mentorship and kind of also yeah. teaching other therapists was something that you wanted to kind of shift how, how that was working. Yes. So have you been able to step into that within your own practice yet? Absolutely. So I have two occupational therapists who are absolutely amazing. Um, they, especially, they've been with me since day one when we first started and we were just staring at each other like, where are the kids coming? Are we going to be poor forever? Like, <laughs> just patiently waiting. Um, and they had not done a whole lot of feeding therapy. So we jumped in together. I help um, oversee evaluations. If they're having trouble in a session I'm going to the cabinet and pulling out like let's try this cookie cutter let's try um here's a food play recipe that you could try and just trying to encourage them to I feel like as a therapist especially in those younger days it's like you're afraid to ask questions but it was more so because the people around you weren't making you feel like you could ask questions yeah so always telling them like hey like it's okay. Any single question that you have is okay. Like the only way that we can be better is to ask. We can't grow if we're just kind of stuck in this rut of, oh, well, I should know this by now. She already answered that. Well, it's okay because the only way that we're going to be the best therapist that we can be is to continue to ask and to continue to learn. Um, I observe lots of their sessions. So a lot of times, even if I'm just doing some business stuff, I'll sit in the room with them and kind of watch their feeding therapy sessions. So that way, if they have a question, if they need help, I'm right there, especially with the little ones. Um, transitioning to solids is my absolute favorite thing to work on. Um, so I'll grab a food diary to send home to the mom and we'll kind of look at it together. And I'm going through patterns with the therapist, working on expansion of diet, what kind of cups, spoons, all that good stuff, just kind of giving them examples and always supporting them in growing. Um, and then I also have a CF for the first time, uh, which is exciting. And she has literally been amazing. She has just jumped right in and is such a hard worker and eager to learn. Um, and from day one, like, it's okay to ask questions. Please come to me. I don't really feel like I got a whole lot of that either. I learned a lot from my coworkers with speech in um, when I was a CF, but not so much my supervisor. Same. It's just pretty normal, I hear. But I just want to change that. But it, it shouldn't be that way. I it mean, let's just, let's just be honest, right? You're a clinical fellow. You're in your, you yeah. don't even have a full license let yet. So, like, yeah. checking the boxes to meet, like, ASHA's requirements mm -hmm. on the CF is not enough. And like, I've been a CF supervisor once for somebody who was in my practice. And so I saw what it meant to just like do the bare minimum. Like I, I understood what that meant from an ASHA standpoint. And then, then I kind of went like, oh, okay, that's why my experience was like that. I actually had two supervisors when I worked in the schools. Um, and neither of them, I mean, they came and watched therapy and maybe gave me like a teeny bit of feedback, but that was like, three times during the entire school year that they each came and observed their oh, hours required. Otherwise, they, they weren't even located in the school where I worked. They were like, you know, and they would say things like, oh, we're just a we're just a phone call away. We're just an email away. And I'm thinking like, 
but you have your own caseloads and you have like your right. I don't I, okay. we have a relationship built right. there's no trust there's no and there's just so like much else to do in yeah. in a job that like you're not going to go out of your way to like demand more mentorship if it's not being offered to you as a new position. Most people are not like that. Even people who are very strong personalities and have no problem advocating for themselves. Like you don't even really know that that's something you could or maybe should be doing. And I also don't think that should fall on the new clinician. I think that should just be part of the program. So Absolutely. yeah, to have gone through that and then to have been a CF supervisor once myself, I also like I completely agree with you. I'm like, there, there is nothing here that's actually supportive. We're just checking boxes and saying, yes, this person can assess. Yes, this person can do some therapy. Yes, this person, you know, passes and, you know, they've completed their hours over the past however many months or year plus, right? It's Absolutely. It's, yeah. So, and that just drives me crazy because I'm like, you get letters after your name. Yep. but And my license is signed on your evaluation report. So, uh-huh. we're going to make sure this is done correctly. Oh, Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's where I think it's incredible that we have, it feels like I have these conversations a lot and it could be just because that's like who I've attracted to my programs or who's gone in my programs and then kind of had these like eye-opening experiences where they're like, we need to be offering more mentorship. We need to not be gatekeeping yes. to make sure that our therapists feel supported so the patients mm-hmm. feel supported. And yeah, that does require us to like step up to the plate and mentor more and and the thing that drives me crazy is like there are private practices that will like hire people and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to mentor you. And, oh, your case is going to have this, this and that. And then you you get in there and the ages of the patients you were working with are completely different than what we were promised. And the diagnoses are completely different. And there's no mentorship. And you're like made to feel stupid if you even ask a question. But that's not what you were sold. And like here you are now stuck at this job that is You're clearly crazy. not what you signed up for. And I'm not saying that's everywhere. And hopefully that's more, you know, fewer. No, but it does exist. I have so many rooms that are like, oh my gosh, I got this treatment plan and this feeding goal said X, Y, Z. What does this mean? And I'm like, did you like, did you ask the therapist? They're like, yeah, well, they don't know. And I'm like, well, they wrote it. So we probably should know what that means. (laughs) They probably should be writing that goal if they don't know what it means. Exactly. And also, I don't know what it means and I'm a feeding therapist. So maybe we should not be doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that's scary and all sad. That's so scary. Oh, man. Yes. Yeah. So then beyond that, you know, in terms, because you also mentioned that it obviously took a lot of effort busting your butt to like get out there and make a name for yourself. And, you know, it sounds like you have community support at this point in yes. time um, that you did probably had to do a lot of outreach. Did that take quite a bit of time to kind of like build those relationships with several so- families? The good thing is I did early steps in this area for about two years. I worked in the school system. Um, So most of the teachers, um, I've been in and out of some of the daycares. They all know me. They trust me. You know, trust is the most important part of a relationship. And being able to just really gain those relationships before opening this really set the tone. Yeah. We've had to do a lot of community outreach with pediatrician offices, um, some other daycare offices, other service providers. Apparently, we have a counselor in our town that I did not know about that does pediatrics. So we've been able to really um, connect and just trying to make sure that our kids are getting literally everything that they need by reaching out to those other um, service providers. But we also do lots and lots of outreach through the schools. Um, We hand out muffins at the football games. We are in the parade. We are going to truck or treats. We are doing literally everything that we can, not just to tell people about us, but we really just want to be a support for these families. Um, You know, I can't tell you how many times people text me or call me or message me. They're not at the clinic, but we just want to help and we want to be a part So the community outreach and support, especially if anyone is listening that kind of wants to get into private practice, really prioritize like showing parents that you care about their kids, you know, go to the schools that they're at and hand out some popsicles, like just be a part. Um, We love to be able to watch these kids grow 
we did a back to school event and got to watch all the little ones um, come in as they were getting ready to go back to school and just being able to kind of meet the needs of um, where they need to be developmentally as well. Yeah. So I, I love that you're kind of like humanizing the business. You're like, you know, showing it normalizing in a sense too because some people see therapy or therapists and they associate that like you said kind of earlier like oh there's something wrong with my child or oh you think everyone needs therapy or oh this or oh that but I think like what you're doing is amazing you know I know that we've done like certain types of outreach but not to the extent that you're doing we're not out handing out you know and I also don't live in like a tiny little rural area I also am in this massive city where right there's a speech pathology practice every five minutes as you guys on every block like there is an elementary school behind it you know it's like I came from an area that was very highly populated but that said you know I did have my relationships with a number of like private preschools Mm -hmm. and private schools and things that I was going into also before I opened my practice and you know I think because of the things that we did there that we went above and beyond for I think, you know, and because like you said, that trust that you've been built, you've been in there for some time, they know you, they see what you do. You know, one of the things that I've always like coached, you know, a different private practice owners on is like when you do go into any type of a school or setting where there's other professionals, because teachers are professionals, putting yourself on a pedestal and acting like your way is the only way or your way is the best way is the most surefire way to get yourself booted out of that place and they're never going to trust you again. And I'm like, our, the teachers are our friends. They're our colleagues. Yes. They're an important part of the team, as are the administrators there. And, mm-hmm. you know, my goal was always, how can I go in and support this child? But also, how can I support the teacher? Because if Absolutely. I can support the teacher to support this child, then we know things are actually going to get done. And so I always said to the teachers, I was like, I'm here for you just as much as I'm here for the child. Absolutely. And I think that kind of outreach, too, in a sense, is not something they're used to. They're not used to therapists showing yeah. up and being like, hey, how can I help you help this child? Right. They're used to people coming in and working made for me. Right. They're like, you pick the kid up, you drop the kid off, you plug in, you do your thing, you leave, you drop a note in the backpack. You know, they're not. And look, that could be a personality thing. But I also was like, I don't want anybody to think that I think I'm superior because I'm not. Absolutely. I'm, you know, like I might all working together. We're all trying to figure it out. Yeah. yeah. And so I just feel like it's kind of like another extending an olive branch in a sense, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that, so I love how you brought that up because I think that gaining that trust and building those relationships in schools is one of the best ways to Absolutely. start a private practice because it can be tricky to get in with those pediatricians. Like you're saying. And they yeah. like to refer who they like to refer to. Yeah. We're working on it. And truly you're not in their offices, but you're in the schools, right? right. And where the schools are referring to you, you know, if you're not going into the right. schools like my practice, like you know, it just the relationship honestly is different and it's more ongoing with the absolutely teacher than it is with a pediatrician oftentimes. So I love I love that you share. We that. do go into a few daycares in our area. Um, and it's been so nice for them to just like stop one of us in the hall and be like, Hey, we have a question about this. Like, can you help us? Even if we don't even screen the child, we can still provide them with those recommendations and just show them like we are truly just trying to help you. If you're having trouble within the classroom setting, the daycare setting, like we're just here to help. Why don't you try this? Yeah. Or hey, we're working on potty training. Can OT? Yes, we can give you a handout, even if we don't see anyone in here. Like we're just trying to support um, and form those relationships for sure. Yeah, no, I love that. That was the same thing too. I get stopped in the hall, or I get a little text or yeah. email like. Hey, I don't know if I should refer this kid out for a screening, but X, Y, Z. And I'm like, well, try this first. And then if that doesn't work out, I'm like, and I always kind of open the door to where I'd say, listen, if you talk to the parent and they have concerns and you're still not sure or they're not really on board with the screening, feel free to connect them with me. Because mm-hmm. if I can maybe educate the parent or talk to the parent, we can decide if we do need to take that next step Absolutely. together. And, you know, not to cut out like the referral person, but sometimes, you know, that's a conversation Absolutely. that I think we can definitely help with. And you know, I just I think there's there's the one side of not giving away everything for free and charging what you're worth. And there's also the other side of being a support person in your community and just being a good human and supporting where support is due and not everything always needs to have a price point attached to it because um, it's a two minute kind of like conversation or quote unquote consult, if you will. Right. But consultation. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, as long as it doesn't turn into like an hour long consultation, you're not now right. trying like. Pre-evaluation. Yeah. 
Where's that line in the sand? How do you draw that line? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, yeah, that's, that's amazing. So now going further into the business side of things, right? So you start this private practice. At some point, several months in, you're getting, you know, you've got some patients and everything. At what point did you guys fill up? That's a great question. Um, so I feel like it's a literal roller coaster of up, down, up, down, up, down every other day. Um, right when we first opened, I think I got COVID, flu, strep, stomach virus, four sinus infections from stress. Oh my gosh. And I literally remember like laying on the couch praying like, why did I do this? <laughs> well, now that you've gotten everything out of your system and your immune system is like ready to test rest. And I lost my mind. Like why? We were still waiting on insurance contracts. We're in an area where private pay is just not an option. Um, so we do take most insurances. Um, credentialing was a nightmare post-COVID. So we had this lag period, even after opening, that we were waiting for insurance to approve. And I remember literally just sitting like, what have I done? Like, I was working in the school system doing early intervention. I was making great money. I loved what I did. I loved my job. Um I love the families and I literally thought that I had lost my mind. Um, I guess it was in the spring, honestly, probably around May, um, which is, you know, then summer hits and everyone's canceling for vacations. But this spring, I kind of looked around. We had hired um, another new therapist. We were starting to fill the rooms. I was walking in the waiting room and seeing parents there who didn't know me, which was the first time that it was kind of like, okay, we're growing. Yeah. Because when we first opened, I was the person literally introducing to every single parent. I was seeing most of the speech kids. Um, I was handing out all the intake packets. And then when I started to see parents and kiddos who may have not known like hey she is the owner she opened this clinic I kind of was like okay we're doing this like it's happening it's really happening um and just started to see like the release of pressure from my team they were literally amazing they put their kids in daycare jumped in with me too in October and we waited and their kid, they were paying for childcare. They weren't having kids. They're, they were contracts, so they weren't getting paid. Um, and us, we all started to feel this just rush of relief Yeah, um, that we were making a difference. We were getting, our caseloads were building. Our parents started to reach out um, and say, hey, we had so-and-so tell us that so-and-so is in therapy and how great they're doing. And that really started to... Um, build us up to more to the word of mail started to travel and I think that was also the first time we had some kiddos start to travel to us hmm. so up until that point we were seeing most of the kids just in our town um but then we had some referrals start to come from Shreveport and they were like yeah our pediatrician said y'all were like so good and like we needed to come see y'all like for feeding and just started to kind of hear that word was traveling I know. I probably cried. I cry all the time, but I was like, yes, we're doing this. Feel healthy as long as Ashley's not telling us to do it in our cars. We're good. <laughs> right. Our blood. Oh my gosh. But so, okay. So like six to eight months or so till you kind of were like getting full, yeah. got full and then summer hits, which, you know, they start to learn about all those seasons in private practice. But yeah. in terms of all you were doing, because you said you were the person handing out the intake packets and like doing all the things are you still doing that are you wearing all the hats i'm wearing all the hats okay okay social media marketing um outreach intake scheduling payroll i bill parents our um biller does insurance billing she is a literal godsend i don't know what we would do without miranda she is amazing she actually reached out to me in the beginning and she'll answer questions that I have. She did our credentialing. But other than that, I'm doing everything. I also carry a part-time schedule. So I have eight to 10 sessions a day. And I also supervise a CF. And then I supervise feeding with my OTs. Oh my goodness. This is like at least a job and a half, maybe two. 
Remember well, the mother of a toddler and the wife of a fireman who is gone three nights a week. Little area habit. <laughs> We're carrying all. That all really well, right? Fire. And we're just trying to figure it out. Friendship, what are those these days? It's like trying to put 100% into something always means that something's not going to get everything. It has gotten better, and I am in the process of hiring an administrative assistant. Yay. Well, that's exciting. Exciting. Just exciting. But, you know, that's, I was a type A personality, too, because you shared that earlier on, especially around calling yourself a feeding therapist in the beginning. Yes. Okay. okay. No worries. You don't have to apologize for that. No, but we, uh, or I was, I was definitely that type A. And then opening a practice, getting pregnant with my first child, like months after I opened my practice. And yeah, I guess having the baby actually come like while then trying to, you know, still manage the practice. All the things. I, yeah. I was just like, yeah, and you know what? Like, uh, I can't, I can't be a perfectionist anymore because like, I just Gotta can't. Gotta let go. I'm like, I can't be perfect at everything. And I definitely started to shift me into more of like that type B, which if you had asked me before, like 10 years ago, <laughs> I was like, are you nuts? Like I'm always, and listen, there are certain things that I like done a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I might redo them if it's not done a certain way, because I look at, you know, how does this look outside of here, outside of, you know, any year outside of this situation, you know, it's, I want to hold the business to a certain standard and it has to match my identity, it has to match the business identity and our values, right? And so, you know, there are certain things where I might be a little bit more like picky. It reflects your name. Everything at the end of the day has your name on it. And yeah. that's what I keep telling myself. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to fully give up like the social media and the marketing and the outreach because that has my name on it. I want to make sure the things that are going out there you know, I'm, I fully support, you know, I've seen things that are posted and you can tell that it's done by a marketing specialist rather than a therapist. And I'm like, that's not even correct. (laughs) Like what steps for communication? Where did you get that? And so I want to make sure that it's done correctly. And anything that I post for OT or PT, like I'll go to them and say, Hey, can you read through this? I need you to help me come up with some you know, great ideas for parents for our social media. Yeah. But I am ready to give up answering the phone. That, that one was hard for me. That was tricky. I also felt like that was my, like, voice, my yes. my, like, they, they came to the practice because of that initial conversation with me. And I had a hard time in the beginning. And then I finally hired somebody who was amazing. Everybody, like, sung her praises. And I was like, okay, it doesn't have to be me. This doesn't, you know, and we shouldn't be having clinical conversations on an intake phone call anyways. So 45 minutes in, it's like, hi, my child is two. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go down this Uh 30 page intake packet. (laughs) I'm the worst of, so that's probably my time. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, but to your point, you know, even in my online business, because I don't really do social media marketing for my private practice, like at this Mm -hmm. point with my online business and everything, it says maybe the private practice name on my Facebook page, or at least it used to. I don't know if it still does, honestly, but um, I don't even know. Um, But the information going out is still relevant clinically. And it is, you know, I had a social media team. They were really great in the beginning. I was basically saying like, but they were not therapists. And I was like, but here's my course. Like, you can pull content from it and yeah. they would eat things and I had to go in and like approve them. And in the beginning it was great. And then at like year two and a half or so, mm-hmm. I was like, this is slipping. Like one person left the yeah. team and I just think there wasn't that same dynamic anymore. And I was like, this is so, I was like the stuff that they're finding is from other people's websites. It is the exact opposite of what I would say. They've been with me for two and a half years. Like, yeah, there is. And so, I mean, I loved them, like, regardless, but I kind of cut ties. I brought somebody in-house. Um, the, the person who does it now is has been doing it since March, and she's not a therapist, but she's really good at, she's been really good at, like, learning my voice. She's been really good at pulling content, and obviously, of course, she can pull stuff from. So she's she knows me at this point. Yes. She's creating stuff. I still go in and edit every single post. It doesn't matter if it's... I will tell you, though, because I actually did this this morning. I edited, like, the next, I don't know, two and a half weeks of, like, social media posts. And I was able to do it in, like, 15 minutes because 
she's got so good at like pulling and creating these visuals that go with it and everything that, you know, occasionally I'm like, okay, tweak this a little bit, or I wouldn't say it. That sounds a little funny. Say it like this. The content itself for the most part is like spot on. And I'm just like tweaking it a little bit. So it sounds like it actually came from me. Cause like you said, it's, oh, it's hard for someone else to capture to fully capture your voice, no matter what it is. But I will not always have to do yeah. it. So I'm like, so for me, yeah, for me to spend 15 minutes, like yes. two and a half weeks of social media content, and we have posts go out like five days a week. I'm like, that is a dream. Like I, I wasn't there before because it could be like five hours. And I was paying this team absurd amount of money before mm-hmm. and spending hours rewriting posts and things. And I was like, something is wrong with this picture. This is not what I did with and I'm spending less because it's in-house and spending less time too because she's just she's gotten so good so I feel like that's just the evolution of like a business owner is like over time and even just you know it's not, it's not always about resources and how much money you have to spend or not I think it's partly like what you feel like needs the most attention right now mm-hmm. right that's where your energy goes mm-hmm. and and when you have the time to deal with another thing and even if that means getting something off your plate the attention goes there when in due time, you know. Oh, so, but yeah, I used to wear all those hats oh, and all that. We're still like, please don't give up scheduling. We all have nightmares to where we were in places that they would just throw kids on your schedule. You would get up on Monday morning and it's like, oh, I have an email at two and I didn't know that existed. So I have promised them that I'm going to, going to keep wearing the scheduling hat. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. But yeah. Well, and it, you know what? I mean, the biggest thing you can do, right, is just kind of create a standard operating procedure that has like when I schedule here are the things I look at like here you know what I mean you just kind of like even record yourself scheduling so you can actually go and look and see what you're doing and then like put it into like a step-by-step process and like here's what is not okay and here what is okay I think you could totally be like this is what's allowed this is what's not allowed when scheduling you can't just put people because they're because they're just space and they you know um and that's that's where I think like a lot of us don't and, and this was me especially I didn't have standard operating procedures I didn't I mean when I hired somebody yeah. for me to create them and I was like uh how do I do this like how do I put this in writing I just do it I don't know how to tell somebody else to do it I can have them show me I could probably like talk to them walking through that but I think having like that tangible like thing to go back and visualize and go step by step by step like doing that even on my online business um has been life-changing and I have tailored I think for a lot of that yeah, but I'll tell you. Like this morning, I was like, "What? What do I? What do I need to do today?" Oh, oh my gosh! I like don't actually have to do anything before my my podcast, but I should probably review some social media posts for the next couple of weeks. I should probably review the emails the copywriters creating. Oh, I recently, for the first time, hired a copywriter who is a therapist. She's an SLP, and awesome. it was, you know, it's like the I like was reading through, and I'm like, "Oh, she got yeah. it." <laughs> Like nail emails. This is so is the best. I yeah, but you know, it's all in. I've been in business for three years in the online world, and I'm just now like doing some of these things. Right. Where, you know, I would say I'm like, it doesn't have to be perfect. Like in the beginning, like you kind of figure it out as you go. Right but it sounds like you guys are crushing it. We are. We're about to hit the one year mark, and I'm finally able to give up the reins on some things, which I'm very excited about, and I'm ready to get back into therapy. I mean, I see, I have a half caseload right now, but I really want to get into um, doing some more feeding therapy, ready to take my own method starting next week and super excited about. Um, I actually had a friend who works at a dentist come up to me last weekend and I've been praying and trying to figure out like, okay, what course is going to be next? And I've been, you know, watching and she came up to me and she was like, do you do Mayo? And I was like, uh, why? <laughs> She's like, well, we're right down the street and we really love to refer to you. You know, we'd rather keep it local. And I went home and bought it that night. I was like, done. You're like, yes, done. Mayo, but we're scheduling three weeks out. Right. I was like, call me in a month because I'm going to be ready. I love ready to do it. I love it. Well, and I also yeah. love how like you're kind of like, energetically, I feel like you kind of open the doors and you're like, okay. I see it. You know what's happening, and then something just comes your way. You invite it in, and you're, and then you take action. Like you're like, okay, I'm not going to sit on this. I'm just going to go do it. And I mean, and to me, that's the best 
like sign of, of a business owner. Like that's the one of the best things you can do to be successful is listening to kind of what comes your way because so many people will shut that down. They'll be like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't do that. Like I'm too busy right now. We got full caseload. Like I'm good. I'm good. Like, you know, maybe later, you know, but you're like, nope, diving in. At first, look at me up because I just don't know how to say no. A parent could call me tomorrow and be like, I need help with this. And I was like, okay, call me in two weeks. I'll be there. Like, let me start learning now. Yeah, but it is also, yeah, but to some degree, right? It's because that's where your heart is, right? And that's kind of what you want to be doing. And sometimes it's like that external push. It kind of goes like, all right, let's do this. Like, I'm not able to do it. Everything is happening for a reason. Yeah. So I'll just take it as that. Yeah. So is there anything that like you would have wished you knew like when you were getting started that you feel like you've learned during this process? I wish I would have known how tired I was going to be. Oh my gosh. Um, I, especially when I was really in the trenches of those first few months of kind of giving up, I wish I would have known the joy that it feels when parents are so thankful and so grateful for everything that we do. I could not imagine ever working not in pediatrics some people tell me I'm crazy a lot of my friends are like I don't know how you work with kids all day and then you go home to your own but just the joy for a mom to call and be like hey you know so-and-so said their first word so-and-so um just took four ounces of their bottle we're we're gonna be able to stay out of the hospital like there are so many things that we do on a daily basis I know that really just are changing these kids lives and especially in this community we are literally shifting the generations to come because we're providing this intervention when it never existed like I cannot wait to see in 30 years from now how these kids and these families everything is changing because of what we're able to do and I wish I would have known that I mean I'm glad I did it obviously because it's just kind of coming to fruition now but knowing that then would have given me probably a little more sleep I would have been able to relax a little bit um because it has been worth every tear pound that I've gained from stress (laughs) all the things every prayer we've been relying on that bible a lot lately and just really taking it all as it comes and feeling like it's really what we're supposed to do um but every other day is i'm on top of the world what the hell am i doing on top of the world what am i doing roller coaster ride yes literally like what is happening and then the next day it's like look what i accomplished we just took updated pictures friday and I looked at them and it just was wild to see that there were nine people standing in front of the clinic. And the first one we took, I think, had four and two of them were part-time. And so it's just crazy to see the growth. It's crazy to see the trust that they have in me and just learning how to trust myself as a leader. And to just, I wish I would have known, like, you can do this. You can do hard things. I've always been one to just, like, jump in and figure it out. But I also wish I would have known that I can be a business owner because business is not my, that was never in my plans. Math, technology, all the things that are required of this. I watch YouTube videos every night, like how to create an Excel document, how to run payroll, QuickBooks.com, like CPA, financial advisor I need y'all to tell me like step by step so the fact that I've been able to come out of that to everything that felt like the biggest hurdle we made it and then I'm like we did the biggest things in the beginning so I know that everything to come is going to be okay yeah yeah well and I think that's it's one of those things where I think you see business owners like running a business and it kind of is so glorified online. And that's why I always tell people, I'm like, you got, you've got to put in the work. Like, is it worth it in the end? Yes. But like, there are many years in my life that I did not sleep very much. Uh, it could be four hours one night, six hours another night. Like I usually have a cutoff of like, I got to stop. There's only four hours left to sleep because I got to wake up with my kids. I will be 
a wreck tomorrow. Which, so honestly, anything less than seven hours, and I'm kind of like not at my best. Only. I know my very you know kicking in. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I I also am a night owl, so it really works against me because I feel like I do my best work at night when no. it's and I have the like least amount of distractions, and everyone's sleeping. But when you have kids who have to get up in the morning at 6.30 yeah. to go to school, that doesn't work so well. Walking right pain interrupted. Yes, I know. Yeah. So, you know, but I, but I always look at that and I'm like, that's something I chose. I want I want to be a mother. And I know that with that, you know, and sending my kids to school in certain places, that means X, Y, and Z about, you know, my Absolutely. school. So, I know. Everyone's like, oh, is you're so lucky. You work for yourself. And I'm just literally like. If you understood, like, the amount of hours I work per week, it is crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot it's of a, hours. It's a lot. It's a lot of hours. So one last thing I want to ask you about before we wrap up. So you had mentioned a couple times in the episode, like, having imposter syndrome, yes. you know, kind of as a business owner or as a therapist and feeding and, you know, totally. whatever. Where are you with that now? Does that still come up for you? I think it will always come up more so because I am a perfectionist I, and I am type A. Um, I'm gaining confidence in being a leader. I'm gaining confidence in being a feeding therapist. But I always have, there's always going to be a little bit of doubt and more so of did I do that in the best way that I could have? Or maybe I should have said this. I go home and I'm still like, oh, I, I was talking to that parent and I should have said X, Y, Z. So I always feel like I'm not doing enough, but I think that's just because I want to do it all. Yeah, it's because you care. It's yes, because you I care. And I love these kids, I love this business, I love this clinic, and I always kind of feel like, why would why should they trust me at the end of the day? Why should they believe what I have to say? You know, why are they going home and putting all of their eggs in the basket of this clinic of can you help us? Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I feel like that's something that you never want to lose because it's what keeps you at the top of your game. It's what makes you strive to be the best therapist you can be. It's what makes you want to continue taking more courses and learning how to mentor your team and then mentoring your team and collaborating internally and building what you've built and like growing what you've built. Like if I ever just, you know, I'm like, please take my business away from me the day that I sit back and I'm complacent and I'm like, I've done everything I can do. Like, I'm not running it anymore. It's not mine anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I might as well just sell it at that point because I'm totally not in it. it's not what, I, you know, and and so that, you know, people ask me all the time, they're like, do you still have a clinic? Because I'm not really working right. I'm not, not, I am working, I'm not treating right now. And I'm like, I do have a clinic. I'm not treating in it because I'm now running multiple businesses. And so I may not always be the best person to mentor a therapist. So like I've stepped away from mentorship, you know, when it comes to clinical side of things, I'm doing business mentorship and I, my team is the one who's like front and center and present mentoring, whether it's in my private practice or it's online business or whatever else. Because again, I just, you know, I'm still there and I can still add, you know, input here and there, but I'm not going to take on like one-on-one -on -one mentor clients because I'm like, I'm not in the thick of it every day right. at this point, um, which is something that, you know, also it shows to you as a therapist, like, you know, that and how yeah. important it is. I feel like when I see someone who's like, yes, well, I'm going to mentor X, Y, Z, but like, you're not, you haven't done therapy in four years. Right. So why are you supervising? Why are you mentoring? And why are you trying to talk therapy? And it's okay. Like there's a time and there's a place to do all of the things. Yeah. Um, but don't try to supervise clients or do X, Y, Z when you haven't treated it, you know, four right. to five years. Yeah. I'm like, my brain just doesn't function on the same level. And when it comes to like patient well, care really? as it did when I was actively treating every day. And it first started where I was like, I'm just going to take a break because I'm launching this online course. Right. Then COVID happened. Then we moved to a different yeah. state. And at this point, I'm like, I spend so much of my time running businesses that I'm like, I still identify as a feeding therapist. I still can, you know, it's, I had one of my therapists bring her baby and I did an assessment and I was like, oh, I still got it. It's still there. Right. But also, you know, at the same time, I'm just like, for me, I'm like, my, my heart is more in mentoring where I feel like I'm working every day, whether that's going to, you know, clinical or that's business is going to differ for everybody. So anywho, all that to kind of just go back to 
Yeah. I mean, but I, again, kind of going back to the whole imposter syndrome thing, because like you had shared that like you basically gone from feeling like an imposter to like feeling like a total badass in business, like all resting day at times. Right. It is. And, you know, I think that that's it's part of the roller coaster that we ride and it never changes, like no matter how much experience you have, no matter what you're doing in life. But, if, you know, if you're owning your own business, like that is a roller coaster that's just going to continue to happen. <laughs> Take your own run. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I love it. I love it. Well, this has been amazing. So tell everybody where they can find you. Yes. So we are online at fundamentalpediatrictherapy.com. We also have a Facebook and Instagram page. Awesome. And we'll make sure we link everything in, underneath the episode so they can reach you. Um, and yeah, this has been amazing. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you want to share? Don't think so. Thank you so, so much for having me. This is a total like 180 moment for me to just be here with you. You, you kind of started this for me. So I really appreciate it. And it's been really fun being able to chat. Well, I'm I'm so glad that you joined me here and that we were able to share this. And I, I know that this that your experience is going to help a lot of other either therapists who want to get into the business or maybe who already have started and are kind of going through some of those early days where they're like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? What about you? It will be worth it. It will be worth it. It's always worth it in the end. Well, thank you. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you found value in this episode and want to hear more of these Myotots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode on your social media platforms. You can access free resources and all I offer at hallybalkin.com or pop over to at hallybalkin on Instagram to get all the latest updates.